Oh, you did incredible. Let's give yourselves a hand. Round of applause. Oh, so fun. Again, thanks for playing along. Hopefully you played along if you're watching online, wherever you are. But again, two truths and a lie, it's hard to determine. Sometimes it's easier to determine because <laughs> I gave you very little time to come up with your lie. But oftentimes it's difficult to know which one's the truth and which one's the lie. And you know, in our culture, there are statements that are often thrown out there. And whether it's in the culture at large or our Christian subculture, that can be difficult to determine if they are true or not. Here's one of those statements. One of those statements is, to thy own self, be true. To thy own self, be true. I mean, I think if you consider slogans that Americans hold on to, I think this is one of them, right? Got the t-shirt, got the bumper sticker, got the tattoo, right? And on one hand, yes, we want to be true to who we're intended to be true to. In, in other words, the New Testament scripture talks about being the new man, new woman in Christ Jesus, right? The new self, the true self in Christ, right? The, the new self. We want to walk in that, but we don't want to walk in the false self. We don't want to walk in, in the old self. And one of the things that's interesting about a statement like that is, on one hand, you want to follow who you're intended to be, but I think the other question is, which self are you going to be true to? Like in my own life, there are times, there are times where I'm tempted to do what I want to do, how I want to do it, and when I want to do it. And let me give you an example. I have a six-year-old son named Ray. Big play Ray, some people call him that. Uh, big play Ray. Ray gets up really early. He doesn't eat a lot of sleep. He just, man, he just keeps going. He's like the Energizer Bunny. And he loves to be engaged and loves to participate. And when I participate in, in things that he's interested in. Now imagine I came home after a day of work or even an early morning, right? An early morning situation, either one, either early morning or, or coming home from work. And I was like, man, you know what? I'm so tired. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go downstairs, put on some sports center relax, recline, enjoy myself. Amy and her mom, they've got Ray. I'm going to put it all on, on them. I'm not going to worry about a thing. I'm not going to lift a finger to help. I'm just going to do my thing. I deserve a break. I deserve a break. After all, I've been working really hard and I'm really tired. And, and Amy and her mom, they got it. They got it. They got Ray. They got Ray. On one hand, you're like, is there anything wrong with relaxing, watching ESPN? No. But is my timing off? Would you agree? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my timing's off. Is it inconsiderate unconsider of Amy and her mom? Yes, it is. Is it thoughtful of Ray? And as far as him not seeing me for the whole day and wanting to engage with me? So again, the question is, which self are we talking about being true to? And then I want you to think with me about the origin of this statement, to thy own self be true. Do you guys know where this actually comes from? Say it out loud. Shakespeare and what play? Hamlet. Do you guys know within Hamlet? Right on, man. It's right on. Like, this guy's so smart right here. Do you guys know who said the line within the play Hamlet? No. No. That was good. I like, I like what you're doing. It's like saying Jesus at church, right? You can't go wrong. Who, who said it? 
No, actually, it was, it was King Claudius' advisor, Polonius. And if you remember, in the play, Polonius is actually the fool. He's about greed. He's about his own desire, his own ambition. And it actually leads to his destruction and the destruction of the king who's greedy as well. But this is a statement that we take from the fool in the play and say this is the way we should live our life. To thy own self be true. Again, which self? The true self or the false self? Which self? And St. Augustine, he said it this way, and I think this is really important for us. It says, our problem isn't necessarily that we love the wrong things. It's that we often love the right things in the wrong order. And it's, it's about these disordered desires in our own lives. Again, it's not wrong to have a desire. It's not wrong to want something that's, that's good. But oftentimes, it's often in the wrong order. And so as we think about that, and as we consider that, as we wrap up this teaching series today, I want to ask you this question. I want to ask you a simple question, and it's simply, what is the best way to live? What is the best way to live? And I, I want you to think with me about that because, again, we're, we want to examine which self are we talking about when it says, to thy own self be true. Again, what is the best way to live? And I'm going to say, as you've heard me in this series and throughout any of the teachings that I've done when we talk about the life that we've cre been created for, I'm going to state again and again that the best way, the best way to live is the Jesus way. See, the way of Jesus is the best way to live. Now, this will not be popular, what we're going to read about and what he has to say for us about our life. But we believe that Jesus is the designer of our lives. And so if he's the designer of our lives, then he knows the best way to live. And we're to align according to his design. We're to get back to who we were created to be as much as we can be on this side of heaven. We are meant to experience, again, what he has for us. And in him, in him, is flourishing, is thriving. And again, when we talk about the best way to live, oftentimes our cultural mindset goes to, again, to thy own self be true. Whatever I want, however, whenever I want it, no matter who's hurt or harmed by it, about the amount of cars I have or my position or my possessions, we get kind of caught up in those things. But there's a whole other way of life that we're going to see Jesus talk about. Because not only is Jesus the author of life, Jesus actually lived the human life. He took on flesh. God took on flesh and dwelt among us. And I believe not only did he do that to save us and to rescue us and to invite us to join him and what he has for our lives, as we call it here at Riverbend, and we say it, living for Jesus and loving the valley and the world. But I also believe he not only sacrificed himself for us to have salvation, but also to show a way of what it looks like to be human, truly human fully human. And he's experienced what you and I have experienced. And so today what we're going to do as we wrap up this series, I want us to hear from Jesus in his own words. And this is often referred to as the Beatitudes from Luke's gospel. Dr. Luke is going to record these words that Jesus spoke. And Beatitudes are really about these inner attitudes that lead to outward actions. These inner attitudes that lead to to outward actions. Now, as we listen to Jesus, I just want to let you know, some of the things that he's going to say are going to step on your feet. 
Because Jesus, many of us love the portrait we may have of him, but oftentimes we haven't read who he truly is. So there's times he says things where we're like, I didn't know Jesus said that, <laughs> right? Like, what? He did that? Wait a minute. And it's because a lot of times we have a character of who Jesus is versus the genuine experience. And that's why we need to read the Gospels ourselves. That's why we need to read the Scripture ourselves. We're called to do that. But Jesus is all, also what I call an equal opportunity offender, meaning He's not offensive in the sense that he's attempting to offend you, but what he says at times is going to offend. And it doesn't matter your political position. You could be on the right, you could be in the middle, a moderate, you could be on the left. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic background. It doesn't matter who you know, don't know. It doesn't matter any of that. He still has a way of offending because he's calling us to a way of life that is the best way to to live, but again, it goes against our cultural narrative, whether that's the culture at large, the Christian subculture, our family story. He's calling us to something better. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up with me to Luke's account of, of these words that Jesus speaks from Luke chapter 6. You can power up as well using your app, um, the Riverbend app, or if you use Uversion, and then there's free copies in the Bible in the hallway as well. And what we're going to see today, as Jesus is going to talk, it comes on the tail end of Jesus praying. And as he's been praying, he's now getting some time specifically with his disciples. Listen to what it says. It says, Look at, looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. So when we hear this, when we talk about the best way to live, Jesus uses this type of language. He says, being poor, being hungry, and weeping. And I don't know about you, but that wouldn't be the first thing I thought of when it comes to the best way of living. And this word blessed really speaks of this joy, this, this fullness of life that's found in him, this idea of experiencing whole living according to what he has for us. It's for our flourishing and the flourishing of others. It's a word that, that's often referred to as shalom. And what Jesus says here is he says, you're blessed when you're poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And he's not talking about material possessions, but he is talking about those who don't have oftentimes recognize what he's talking about, the inner attitude of acknowledging I'm spiritually bankrupt and I need a Savior. They have a recognition of their need for a Savior. They know they can't save themselves. They know their resume is not good enough before a holy and righteous God. They come to the end of themselves. It doesn't matter, again, what's on their resume, who they know, what they drive, what house they live in. It doesn't matter about any of that. But they come to the end of themselves and they say, I'm poor, I'm needy, I need a Savior. I need a Savior. And I can't save myself. And I'm seeing Jesus as he truly is. I'm putting my trust in Jesus. He says, again, blessed are those who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. And this is a beautiful language because Jesus, when he preached, he talked about repentance. And the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. And this kingdom is what we're invited into through faith in Christ Jesus. 
and not only to join the kingdom, but be about seeing his kingdom expand. Be about seeing the things of God not only change us, but change the people and the places that we're a part of in this world. Again, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry, or who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. And another way to, to look at this is what Matthew's gospel accounts and records when he says, blessed are you who hunger for you, hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be satisfied. This hungering and this thirsting after righteousness, this right way of living in response to Jesus. Not that we're saving ourselves, but in understanding our poverty, we allow our righteousness because we've been made right with God through Christ to lead then to a right living that's in response to what we could not earn, but then joining Jesus and bringing about his rightness to the earth. Again, we're aligning with his design. And he says, blessed are you again who weep now for you will laugh. So there's, a, there's this aspect of weeping. And what does this speak to? Well, it speaks to sorrow and understanding of our own brokenness. That I see my brokenness and it causes me to weep. That I see the brokenness around me and it causes me to weep. And we live in a culture right now that shies away from emotions like sadness and weeping. We numb it out. We numb it out through alcohol, through pornography, through eating. We numb it out through shopping, through scrolling on social media. We numb it out. We numb it out. Because we don't want to sit in those feelings of brokenness. We don't want to acknowledge, wait a minute, I need a comfort that will not come from these things. Because Matthew's gospel says it this way. He says, blessed are those who, are, who, who weep or who mourn, for they will be comforted. There's a comfort that Christ wants to give to us. And so when I acknowledge my brokenness and I'm hungering for the things of God and I'm caught up in, in his way of living, when I, when I consider what he has for me and what he's done for me, then it's going to cause me to recognize also my, my brokenness. It's going to cause me to weep with God as he weeps over the things of, of this world that are not the way they're intended to be. And to look forward to the day that they're going to be restored and to join him in that activity. That's why when my neighbor just passed away of cancer, I could mourn with his widow. I could mourn. I could weep. I could say, oh, this is so hard. Me and, me and my, my wife, Amy, and, and my mother-in-law, able to get her a meal, pray with her. What's going on? Because we know death wasn't originally part of the design. But when sin came in the world, part of brokenness is death. When we see all these shootings happening, like in Buffalo, oh, God, help us. Help, I, I mourn. I mourn when, when acts of, of racism happen in that way or school shootings take place. And, and you can fill in the blank. There's so much happening right now. And the right response is to weep before the Lord, is to mourn and to experience his comfort in it. There's a blessing for us. There's a blessing for us, again, when we have this inner attitude of poverty, this inner attitude of hungering and thirsting for righteousness, this inner attitude of mourning and weeping brokenness. And again, as we do those things, what they do is they give us access to who Jesus truly is and what he wants to do within us and then through us. Well, it continues on here in Luke's gospel. In Luke chapter 6, it says, 
Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. And when you hear what he says here, he says, hey, you're blessed when people hate you, exclude you, insult you, and reject you. How many of you guys like that when that happens? I mean, how many of you guys like to, to be, again, hated on, excluded, insulted, rejected? I don't think any of us like that. And the reason why they're doing this isn't because we're, and I just love to give this caveat, is not because we're a jerk, all right? Because that happens oftentimes when people are like, oh, I'm, I'm doing this for Jesus. No, 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 you're just being a jerk, okay? Right? But this is a different thing. This is about an inner attitude that says, wait a minute, I'm joining Jesus and what he's doing. And what he's doing is full of grace and truth, and his ways are not the ways of this world. He does not fit into a political ideology the way that we often want him to, whether it's the right, the middle, the left, it doesn't matter. He's what my, my friend Bethan says, Bethan Miller. He's the radical middle. And this radical middle is not about being a moderate. It's about being full of grace and truth. It's this other way of living. And when you stand with Jesus, people at times, when you join him, both in your character and what he calls us to, there is going to be rejection. And he says, hey, rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. There are these rewards that await you. But he says, again, this is how they treated, this is how they treated the prophets. You, you know, this is how they, they treated, again, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. And I think for us, more than ever, we need to be a people that stand with Jesus, both in our posture and the way that we look at our positions. We need to look at Jesus for who he is. If we're going to be kingdom citizens, and we're going to join him and what he has for us. And oftentimes when we read something like this, this can be hard for us to understand. But the longer I've been following Jesus, the more I've seen this so true. Because people don't know what to do when you don't pick a side, but you pick Jesus. They don't know what to do. They're like, oh, you didn't go far enough. You went too far. Oh, wait a minute. You're not matching what it is that I, I think you should match. And I'm like, well, by the way, I appreciate you, but I don't feel like I need to match what you want. I need to match what Jesus wants in his kingdom. And that by itself is going to be offensive to a lot of us and to those around us. But we live in a day and age, too, where oftentimes people don't know what to do when you say of them, I love you and I accept you, just as the Father through Jesus loves and accepts me, but I don't agree with you. I don't agree with what you're doing. And it's outside of God's economy in the kingdom of living that he has for you. But I still love you. And I'm still for you. I'm saying this because I am for you. But oftentimes in this cultural landscape, both in the culture at large and the Christian subculture, to accept and love someone means I have to fully agree with them. But you know what? My heavenly father does not fully agree with everything that I do. But he still loves me. I love my son Ray. But guess what? I don't fully agree with everything that he does. I do not. I do not. 
I do not agree with him getting up that early. I do not. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. That's spirit. I do not agree with that. I do not. But I still love him. He's my boy. He's my pride, my joy. But I do not agree with that. And so as we think about being our true selves in Jesus, this way of life that he calls for us, again, he wants us to be people with our inner attitudes that say, hey, I'm going to acknowledge my need, my poverty. I'm going to hunger after the right things. I'm going to weep. And I'm going to, over my brokenness and the brokenness around me, and I'm going to stand with Jesus. I'm going to stand with Jesus. Even when people are saying, pick a side, pick a side, pick a side, I will. I'm going to pick Jesus. I'm going to pick his ways. And I'm not going to make Jesus what I want Jesus to be, but I'm going to allow Jesus to be who Jesus is and allow whatever I'm going to be about, both in my posture and my positions, to be aligned with that. And will I get it perfect all the time? No, I won't. And when I don't, and when I fall short, again, there's this brokenness, there's this weeping, there's, hey, God, I'm quick to acknowledge. I'm quick to acknowledge how I missed the mark on that situation. But then Jesus says, hey, this is the true self in Christ, but here's the false self. Here's what the false self looks like. He says this in the next couple of verses here. He says, but woe, but woe. Say that with me, but woe. But whoa, and, and whoa here is not like, whoa, that's so cool. Like, whoa, like your car. This is like, whoa, here's a judgment. I'm about to lay down some judgment here, okay? He says, but woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well-fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the who? They treated the false prophets this way. And so what he says, he says, woe to you who are rich. And again, this is not about our material possessions per se, because if that was the case, we're all rich. When you look at a global economy, by the way, if you drove here today, if you have another two cars, if you have a house or an apartment, I mean, we, we all mash that way. But this is really talking about those who are so consumed with possessions that the possessions possess them instead of them possessing the possessions and stewarding it well. They're only living for what they can gain in this life. They're only about the treasure of this world. And this is why when you read through Matthew 5 through 7, you hear Jesus talk so much about having the right perspective about our wealth. It has a hold of them in a way that causes them to get comfort in this life. But this comfort will be short-lived. And he says, you know, woe to you who are well-fed now, for you will go hungry. There's a hunger that's going to come in the next life. We can feed ourselves. We can overindulge in this life but it can cause us to hunger and thirst for the right things, the things that truly satisfy us, the things that meet those longings within our soul. And this laughing now is, again, how we numb out, how we distract, how we aren't allowing ourselves to sit in our brokenness, in the brokenness of this world. And so Jesus is really getting at, hey, it's about the posture. It's about not walking in the false self, but the true self. And he says, Woe to you when everybody speaks well of you. 
They speak well of you. And again, it's not about not having a good name and a good reputation. Again, throughout the scriptures, we, we see that's an important part. But this is about the idea of not living in and walking in the truth. But rather, rather what everybody else wants to hear, what's popular by culture, again, whether that's broad culture or Christian subculture, evangelicalism, and not swimming against the current of culture. And to know that there's a way of life that he's called us to. Again, the true self, not the false self. And so as we we continue on here, I I just want to help us to think through what we just read. The The true self living in Jesus. Again, he says we are blessed when we embrace weakness, sacrifice, sorrow, and rejection. The false self is living, living apart from Jesus. The false self living apart from Jesus. Woe to us when we pursue power, comfort, success, and want the praise of people more so than we want the praise of God and what he has for us. So as we think about that, the true self versus the false self, which self are you being true to? Because when we read something like this, it reminds me of, of this picture. You guys have seen this before? Like when you look at the glass and when you look at it, it takes what is in front of you and turns it upside down. It turns it upside down. And when you hear Jesus talking, it seems like upside down. It didn't match that culture's climate and context, nor did it match what we are accustomed to or used to. It's like seems upside down to us. It doesn't seem to make sense to us. But really, when you think about it, Jesus turns our world from upside down to right side up. Because he's just calling us to what we were created for, what he's designed us for, what he has for us, the way of life that Jesus himself walked in. Again, Jesus turns our world from upside down to right side up. To right side up. Now again, in our culture, it will seem upside down. But I said on the front end of this message, We're looking to Jesus in his ways, right? We're aligning with his design and what he's created for us and what he's intended for us. So are you living upside down or right side up according to Jesus? As you look at what Jesus says, as you read through the Gospels, and I invite you this week to read through Matthew 5 through 7 to even get more context to some of these things. But are you living, again, are you living upside down or right side up according to Jesus? to Jesus. Where are you? Where are you? Because if we're going to live in the truth, we need to live according to what he has for us. It's for our benefit. It's for our flourishing. It's for our thriving. And not only for us alone, but for the benefit of others as well. Well, as we continue on here, I want to just remind us of what one of those disciples that was with Jesus said. Because it's important that we know the part that he has for us our, our call, the things that he calls us to, but also the fact that we have a unique place in history, each and every one of us who are followers of Jesus, his church. And I want you to hear what one of his close disciples, one of the big three, Peter, James, and John, Peter, Peter says. Listen to what he says. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. 
once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And he says, hey, we're a, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And it's not just for our benefit, but for the benefit of others. Not just those that are family, not just those that were friends, but for the, the world at large. We're, we're to embrace our identification as those who belong to Jesus and to follow after what it is he has for us. But Peter continues on and he says this. He says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. Do you know that we're considered foreigners and exiles in this world? And I know, you're like, oh, I'm a citizen. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about we understand that our citizenship primarily comes from his kingdom and his ways. And I'm proud to be an American, by the way. That's not, that's not a, one of those comments. Because you're like, oh, what, what's going on? No. I'm saying, though, hey, he, he wants them to know. And he's saying this as they're in the heart of persecution by Rome. Nero's coming after him. Nero's killing Christians left and right. And so he says these next words again, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And so he says, hey, part of stepping into the fullness of what we are intended to do is to recognize, again, we're exiles, we're foreigners. We're going to abstain from our sinful desires, these things within us, these appetites of our flesh. And this is one of the interesting things about Jesus. One of the ways that he combated against spiritual warfare and heard the voice of God is to fast food. He fasted food because it was a way of saying, I'm not held captive by my body and its appetites. And every time he got a hunger pain, he would cry out to his heavenly father. And you know, we're, we're to do the same thing. It's a way that we, we overcome the enemy. Fasting is one of those practices. And this is what you hear about the sinful nature. And this is why he says, you know, blessed are you who, who hunger, who hunger. And this is one of those tangible ways in a physical sense that we experience hunger. And as we fast food, as we say no, it's a way of saying, hey, I'm not held captive by my desires of my flesh. But before God, I can live surrender to him. It's one of those incredible practices. I encourage you to think about adding that in to what it is you do to encounter God in deeper ways. Again, we're to live such good lives that though we're accused of things, though we're accused of doing things that we haven't done, they're going to see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. And this is what Jesus said. We're going to be a city on a hill. We're going to shine this light. And as we shine a light, they're going to then turn and glorify our Father in heaven. We're a city within a city. We're to be a light to who Jesus is and what he's called us to and has for us. Again, the best way, the best way to live, as I said, is the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is the best way to live. So here's a question for you as you think about this. Will you join the beautiful resistance of the Jesus way? Will you join the beautiful resistance? It's a beautiful resistance. There's something about it when we read through what Jesus calls us to. 
that is beautiful. It is incredible. It's amazing that we get to be a part of that. And again, when we read through the Beatitudes, this is not about us trying to earn something. This is in response to who Jesus is. So if, if you have yet to put your trust in Christ, I want to invite you to do that. I want to invite you to put your faith in who he is through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. To understand what it is that he has for you and what he's done for you. And to experience the life that he's created you for. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to ask, are you joining his beautiful resistance? Are you swimming with Jesus in the waters that he's calling us to? A way of life that oftentimes doesn't seem doesn't seem like being true to thy own self, but it's actually the truest way to be true to your true self in Christ versus the false self. Let's pray. Father, right now, we thank you for your love for us. We are so grateful. We're so grateful to gather this morning. We thank you, Father, that you want to meet us. You want to minister to us in this place, in this space. And so as every eye is closed right now, And as we're praying, I just want to ask a simple question. If you say, hey, you know, I want to join the beautiful resistance of Jesus. If that's you, no one's looking around, will you just raise your hand so I can just pray for you? If you say, hey, I I want to join Jesus' beautiful resistance. I want to join the resistance. Just go ahead and put up your hand so I can see you, so I can be praying for you, so that I can be someone who walks with you through my prayers. Father, we thank you for those who are acknowledging that they're joining your resistance, Father. They're coming with you and what you have for them, Lord. And I pray for those who are here today and they're just thinking about what it means to walk in the way of life that you've called us to. I pray, God, that we would be people who would have the courage to follow. I pray that we would be people who have compassion and conviction. I pray that we'd be people who are full of grace and truth. I pray that the the posture of our heart and the positions we take would be aligned with your kingdom, Jesus. And so, Lord, we want to seek your your face. We want your will. We want your way. And we're just so grateful. We're so grateful that we get to be a part of what you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.